to turn the channel, go ahead, fool, turn the channel. We've seen midgets grow. Mandarabasata. I don't make this stuff up. Warlocks are enemies of God. A lot of people who go into prison go into prison straight, and when they come out, they're gay. Science is interesting, and if you don't agree, you can f*** off. Well, I'm not too righteous, but on the other hand, I think you're a bit of a dingling. If you want to learn something about God, shut your mouth and listen to me for a minute. Welcome, everyone, to the AXPX Podcast, Season 3, Episode 6. I am Sean DeRegger. Thank you for tuning in to the show. Uh, we did have a couple-week break, so I apologize for the absence, but, you know, it's the holidays, and around this time of year, things get a bit crazy with my schedule, and I think next year it will be a little more formalized as far as uh, the season goes, but um, till then, uh, I appreciate everyone's patience. Today, we're going to be talking Krampus, The Legend of Krampus. There's a new movie out that kind of uh, is bringing this uh, Krampus back in, into the... Uh, into the fold here. I was able to check, catch the movie, and a lot of people that I would never even think uh, about are having interest in Krampus. So I got Greg Horton on uh, with me to talk some Krampus. What's up, Greg? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you show, you saw the movie? Yes. How was it? <clears throat> uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it's uh, Michael Michael Daughtry. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. <laughs> But he did the movie Trick or Treat. Yeah. And that's been a favorite of mine since that came out. I think it came out in 2009. And every every Halloween, I, I pop that in and I watch it. Because um, okay. it's a very Halloween-y feel movie. It, just, it basically wraps Halloween into one kind of anthology film, and it's a lot of fun. Krampus, it has a little bit of that, but it's more of a straightforward kind of horror film. So there's definitely, like, he definitely as a filmmaker, enjoys holidays and definitely gets the nods to holiday films. And so I think Krampus had, it felt very much like a, um, like a 1980s kind of holiday film with the darker edge to it. Um, a lot of practical effects. So it felt distilled. It felt very eighties, but not trying to be an eighties movie, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of fun. His attention to detail is pretty great. It, uh, it opens up as a standard kind of home alone, Christmas vacation type film. Okay. And, uh, gets darker from there. So I was hoping it was kind of a, a dark comedy. It's just the, yeah, I saw the trailer and some of the cast and you'd have to refresh my memory right now, but some of them are, are fairly well known as comedic actors. Yeah. So well, Adam Scott for sure. Um, uh, the one guy from Anchorman, I'm having a, uh, yeah, I think it's David Kochner. I think is his name. Um, he's in it, so it definitely is. It is definitely kind of a horror comedy. Okay, good. And That's, and yeah. yeah, I mean it's PG thirteen. They don't go totally dark with it, so it's kind of one of those films. I put it in the right up there with like Gremlins as far as like scare factor. Okay, you know? it gets a little more intense I think than Gremlins ever did, but it's definitely one of those what people are calling kind of an introductory horror f- film. Okay. But, um, but there's, I mean, it's, it's a, it, there's certain moments where I'm like sitting here. I feel like I'm watching just a straight, um, you know, a holiday film, you know, it's like there's the, the emphasis on family and everyone's coming together. And <laughs> there's even right. one moment that guy got, got a little misty. It's like, Oh, this is kind of a tender moment. But, um, so I would definitely recommend it. And, uh, Good. it's been doing really well in the box office, which is, uh, really, I think surprising for, for a lot of us who follow the, the horror scene and, and uh, Michael Daughtry's um, 
I don't know if it's Daughtry or Dor 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 I think it's Doherty actually. I've been pronouncing it right. Michael Doherty. But because his last film, Trick or Treat, was kind of buried, and it it sat on the shelf for a, a few years before it finally got a home video release. Okay. So. Well, mo- I, I I steer away from comedies because most comedies aren't funny. So <laughs> I mean, they aren't. I just, right. So I think horror is probably a good sort of a genre to play with comedy because it's not all that well developed, quite frankly. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of the comedy came with the interactions of like. Uh, this family, his uh, his uncle, and and uh, and everything is is coming to visit, or his brother and his fan. The family's coming to visit. They're bringing the families together. Not both families don't get along. There's tension between the kids and everything. So um, it definitely plays like uh, the opening of like Home Alone and even bits of Christmas Vacation kind of thrown in. It's like okay. it's like blend those families together. You have that kind of family dynamic, um, but then bring in this supernatural so force. Sure. Yeah. in the form of Krampus, uh, and it, it gets dark. Um, it gets pretty dark. But, they, of course, they leave all the folklore and everything. They hint on it, right. and there's a brief explanation by the grandma, who's German, and it goes in kind of a stop-motion explanation of what happened to her with Krampus. So, um, so with all this uh, kind of out there, I've kind of floated this out on the on the internet and you responded that you you know quite a bit about Krampus about <coughs> well, the, I guess folklore around the holidays and, and Christmas and, and things like that so yeah what, I've been teaching I've been teaching world mythology for ooh I guess it's been almost 10 years now um, at co- college universities in Oklahoma and um, Krampus is coming back again and <laughs> it, it's fun but the problem with with any kind of you know discussion of actual mythology, um, especially in mythology that's been affected by uh, the Grimm's. I, I don't know what the grandmother said in the movie, but uh-huh. I, it's almost... Uh, it was very grim, like Grimm's fairy tales, like almost on the nose. I would almost bet that it's probably not all that accurate given what... Because no one seems to actually... There's not like a really thorough explanation, which makes sense. A lot of this stuff emerges during the, what they're going to call medieval period, which we also call the Dark Ages, which is that period post fall of Rome where we don't have a whole lot of artifacts or information. And so uh, a lot of the stories that are brought back, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th centuries, we've lo- we've got a 500 year gap there where we mm-hmm. just can't track the sort of development of the stories. And then Krampus doesn't really emerge again effectively as a story until 17 early early mid 17th century. And 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 the Grimms were not the best at covering this area, which is Bavaria, southern Germany, and then Austria, Czech Republic. Uh, theirs was mainly central and northern Europe. So, I'm sorry, central and northern Germany. So they don't do a good job with the Krampus story, uh, quite frankly. So uh, it's kind of a mess when you start looking at it, but it's still fun. And it sort of tracks into a half dozen different sort of traditions, mm-hmm. uh, all, most of which are uh, kind of dark. And that's, I guess that's fine. I like dark. <laughs> so the basic premise with the film, which the film was just a launching point here for the discussion, but the basic premise is uh, you lose your Christmas spirit or you lose your belief. You give up on the belief. Uh, Krampus uh, basically comes to collect and torture for, for some reason. They, like there's, there's some backstory that I believe is put into a graphic novel that kind of relays more of the legend into the film. Which I think, yeah. well, from what people I've talked to, they said, and I didn't have a chance to, but they 
suggested that I should read this graphic novel before seeing the film. Because there's definitely things left open to like, why would he choose this family? Why is it a big deal? Because the, the boy basically rips up his letter to Santa Claus and throws it out the window. And that sparks, right. uh, sparks these events. And um, what's the, what's the, the overall that, arch with the yeah. Krampus folklore? Let's start with, here's the deal with when you teach mythology, you teach sort of the basic story. Okay. And then you have to explain that that basic story is a composite of different traditions, and it's really confusing what's actually the case. So let's the basic story. Southern right now, Austria uh, for you know the geographically uh, not inclined. Uh, Austria is the southeastern neighbor of Germany, and so that area that leads into Bavaria, which is the southeastern republic, that becomes part of the Republic of Germany. That whole area has a very similar sort of mythology, and in that one, Krampus. Uh, is, at least from the 17th century forward, uh, the companion of St. Nicholas. Now, St. Nick's Day is December 6th, and so the eve of, of St. Nicholas Day is, is Krampus Day. Uh, it's, it's the festival, uh, Krampus Lofer, they have different names for it. And th- the story with him is that he is the companion, and Santa goes around, St. Nicholas, and he leaves either you know treats, fruits, nuts, uh, in these shoes that are left out, or if the children have been bad, then Krampus will leave uh, birch twigs or other things okay. uh, not good. Now, if the child is exceptionally bad, depending on which tradition you believe, Krampus carries a bag or a, or a basket, and the child will be uh, abducted, placed in that basket or bag, and then hauled off to – some of the Christian traditions are now saying hell, but in fact, <laughs> it's just his sort of lair. Uh-huh. And <laughs> and what – because it's the German sort of boogeyman idea, what happens to the children there other than beating and torturing is sort of left to the imagination. Uh, some say they're killed. Some say they're just tortured and then released. Uh, some the, the Christianized version says once they're repentant for their misbehaviors of the previous year, then they're released back to their families. Hmm. And so that the, the overall gist is that he is the anti-clause uh, in, in a very real sense. You know, Santa's got the reward. It's, it's like carrot and stick. Santa's the carrot and uh, Krampus is the stick. Right, which is what the movie the movie didn't really approach it that way, which was I'm aware of the the punishing of the children. It was more of he arrived because of what this child did, but didn't really wasn't interested in, in the child, is more interested in the family. Okay. Which I don't know uh, it, the things that I've read doesn't, you know, touch on that that type of story, which is uh, makes me think that they kind of you know, took the basic Krampus idea and launched it into this yeah. story. Yeah, twenty first century child dynamics equals parents' fault equals, um, you know, uh, it takes a village. So we're gonna so the fault rests not with the child's misbehaviors, with other things as well. Right. And if they work in like spirit of Christmas talk, here's the problem: is that uh, what we know of Krampus is, is it could easily be that Santa Claus is just a whitewashed, cleaned-up version of Krampus. Mm-hmm. And no one seems to know where the tradition sort of diverges, but it's quite possible because Krampus in its earliest iteration is probably this what we would call, I'm sure you're, you, you've talked about this before, I, I would assume, the archetypes of mythology are these sort of characters that keep appearing. Mm-hmm. And one of those characters is the wild man. Enkidu from Gilgamesh is, is a prime example. And they are uh, untamed. They're sexually vigorous. Uh, they, are, they like to fight. They like to hunt. They're, they're next to nature. They're close to nature. And they're, called, they're wild men. 
And Krampus is clearly a version of that. And part of this sort of tradition comes over to the United States in the form of the German communities that end up in what is now Pennsylvania, uh, Belsnickel, <coughs> which is really which really means Saint Nicholas or Nicholas in fur. Uh, this furry Nicholas becomes a tradition in, in, in sort of the Dutch Pennsylvania areas. And that sort of tradition, we don't know whether or not that Krampus was separate all the time or if St. Nick becomes this cleaned up version. But we get that whole sort of narrative strain in the early colonies and then finally in the U.S. But we don't, we're not sure what the actual sort of uh, – if he's the same thing. Think of it as two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. It, the Gilgamesh reference is perfect because Gilgamesh and Enkidu are two sides of the same coin. They're actually the same person with just different versions of the masculine personality. And so uh, Krampus, in a very real sense, I said earlier, the anti-clause, he really is. Whereas St. Nick is this kind, generous, gregarious, jolly sort of thing. Uh, Krampus is the dark, brooding uh, uh, sort of um, r- retribution side uh, of, of child-rearing and sort of community formation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what do you think about this kind of resurgence in, you know, is this basically more of an Americanized version, right, of Krampus? Because we're, we're a little more cynical now in, in, in you know, this, is, uh, this society, more modern society, where especially the horror community <laughs> it seems to have jumped, jumped on the Krampus thing. I know that there are Krampus festivals all throughout yeah. the world. Um, I know that. But just lately, just in the past few years in the United States, I've seen just more... Krampus related things, you know. Um, do you think it's gonna, you know, uh, uh, I can't think of the word right now, uh, oversaturate? Yeah, know? I mean, everything, everything in America does, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think that it, you know, I, I, when we read about this in, in class, what we end up talking about is how these stories sort of shape culture. Mm-hmm. And I think Krampus offers a sort of nice corrective to the sort of grotesque commercialization we see now with Christmas, you know, beginning of Black Friday and moving forward. And it's just this sort of the worst version possible of American <laughs> culture. Uh, and so Krampus is this sort of – and then this is me in a sense. I, I, I don't I, – I enjoy some parts of Christmas, but a lot of it is just irritating. And so that sort of saccharine niceness and the sort of nostalgia that's not really based on the actual sort of family. Most of our families are, you know, uh, a, a mixed bag. Yeah. And so the sort of nostalgia we have around Christmas time is this artificially generated sense of uh, false memories uh, or just sort of wishful thinking. And so Krampus is this nice corrective to that, that there is this dark side to the holiday. Mm-hmm. It's, Sometimes it's painful to be with family. Sometimes our, our memories of Christmas have to do with abuse or neglect or death or other things as well. Mm-hmm. And in a very real sense, that's Krampus fulfilling his role as this, as this wild man, which is this re- remembrance of death and, and rebirth. And so that, that makes perfect sense to me. So in American culture, I like it. But as you well know, as someone who pays attention to the pop culture in the form of films, uh, we will reach a saturation point whereby we'll move on to the next thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, just look at how... how- we we're handling this new Star Wars film. Um, it's it's like at, with the marketing. I mean, uh, I'm hoping to get this episode out bef- before Star Wars is in theaters. And I mean, it, we've seen like this oversaturation in just the marketing of that film, where it's almost like Jesus. Can this just come out into the film? Into the, just can this just be out already? I'm sick of hearing about it. I'm <laughs> sick of speculating about it. I'm done. Can we just have the thing? And that's kind of what. Yeah, America does, and I and I've 
you know, it, I think there was a, uh, in Munich, in, in Munich, there was a Krampus run or something like that, or a traditional like Krampus run. Uh, they do. That's what, <laughs> that's what Krampusloff means is, is Krampus run. Okay. Yeah. So that's been going on. I haven't seen it to that level in, in the U.S. just yet, but it right. seems like this has been kind of having a path, making its way from Europe and then now becoming, you know, coming more into the U.S. Um, have you seen, ha- I mean, it's obviously started in Europe. There's, so. there's a, you can actually find a website out there. It's a, it's a couple that went to Kutztown, I think it's a Pennsylvania university. Um, and they're, they, they have Krampus Fest now. They did, they did a celebration. There's a, another celebration in Orlando last year, uh, National Geographic, uh, somebody else, maybe Smithsonian did a couple of pre-Christmas pieces last year. Uh, any place where there's Germanic communities, uh, you know, Pennsylvania being one of the most notable ones in the country, is going to have more of that sort of, you know, the, the folklore that's kind of left over and it's still sort of there, and your grandparents may have heard of it, kind of a thing. You'll see, you'll see more of that. So we are seeing some of it. The movie's probably going to help. The mm-hmm. graphic novel, I've seen the artwork from it. It's the art's stunning. It really mm-hmm. is. I have no idea if the story's any good or not. So I, I do expect that because. In a very sort of hipsterish sense, uh, Krampus is kind of cool because he's scary mm-hmm. and he's horned. And the masks, the, the, the ones they use in Austria are phenomenal. They're, they're hand-carved wooden masks, and they're amazing. Uh, so I expect we'll see some of that just because it is so fun. And, you know, it's in, I don't, I've not really talked through this before with people, but we have this sort of bizarre cultural obsession with Halloween. Uh, and yeah. so Krampus sort of fits perfectly into our sort of macabre obsessions um, and, and in a very real sense, he's probably a healthier version of some of the sort of mythological monsters than others because he at least offers some sort of corrective. So <laughs> I really do hope to see more attention focused on him. And yet I realize that doing that, you're going to sort of water him down to where he's just, you know, rubber masks at a. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the California version of our party galaxy is, but, you know, there'll be like a half dozen costumes in one sort of section for him next Halloween. I don't know, like Spencer's Gifts or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's where we get all of our costumes in Oklahoma City. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's slutty Krampus will be. <laughs> <laughs> that will definitely happen for sure. I know that when I... Uh, Mike, because my kids hadn't heard about the legend uh, the, the, of, of Krampus, and we were in the car one day. I think we were, I think we were driving to Oklahoma City for Thanksgiving, and I asked the kids, like, has anyone heard of Krampus? And, uh, you know, my, my kids, of course, hadn't. I mean, my three-year-old could care less. He doesn't care what I'm talking about. But my, my daughter and my son, my daughter's kind of getting a little more obsessed with kind of darker things, monsters, Halloween, scary movies. And so I'm kind of navigating those, you know, those waters with her. And hello, <laughs> what? I told you guys not to bother me. Go have some popcorn. Just be quiet. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> of, they ask me for everything, which is, I guess, a good thing. Yes. Um. But my. So I started telling them, you know, the legend of Krampus. I said, you know, uh, Santa gives rewards and gifts to all the good boys and girls. But have you got, do you guys know what happens to the bad boys and girls? And then I told them that you know, Krampus will come and take them away you know, yes. and punish them. And my son's eyes got wide as saucers because he was just like, really? Is it really? You know, he wanted to know. And, how, uh, how old is the son? He's eight. 
Yeah. And so it kind of, you know, I'm like, well, it's a good thing you're good, right? You know, and, but then my my daughter would go. My daughter was like, "Is that a movie?" I go, "Well, it's gonna be a movie, but it is based off the story." And during this whole conversation, my wife is pounding my arm. <laughs> you know, right. like, shut up! You know, don't give our kids any nightmares. Um, but, but you know, Sean, this is one of the conversations we have in mythology class, and I typically teach 18 or 19 year olds. Okay. I, mean, I teach freshmen and sophomores. And one of the things that as Americans that we are content with is this notion that there is this there's such a thing as age appropriate material. Mm-hmm. And I know as a horror aficionado, you 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 get what I you know yeah. there that sort of conversation because you have children, and you love horror movies. So at what age do you show them uh, you know something off truly right. awful? Right. But in other cultures, <clears throat> especially ancient cultures. There's no such thing as age appropriate. I mean, I reckon it to like today where if you'd grown up in Cote d'Ivoire or Liberia or Uganda, you can't say to your eight-year-old, you know, the world is safe until they walk outside and then they're abducted and they're made into a child soldier. And so these traditions like Krampus and and some of the other ones, and there's many of them. Krampus is uh, usually affiliated with Berkta, who is a uh, female goddess in that same region. And another one, uh, oh, Iceland. Trying to remember her name, uh, Grilla, and she actually boils and eats children. Okay, and she's right. she's associated with Yule, the twelve days of Christmas. Uh, so this tradition allows parents to talk to their children about the actual horrors of the world, about how bad it actually is outside the door of the mm-hmm. house, right? And as Americans, we're we're sort of insulated from that in many ways. I mean, yes, we have mass shootings and we have things that happen that are horrible, but day to day, most American children face a pretty sort of benign world. Uh, compared to the way things used to be, or even as they can be in other parts of the world, mm-hmm. and so the, the stories like this were just the method by which parents introduce the horrors of the world in a controlled environment, and that allows you to talk to your kids about, you know, you, you talk about your, your son about being good, and you know the elf on the shelf debate that's happening. <laughs> Krampus, is, Krampus is legitimately the original elf on the shelf, and he's a horrifying son of a bitch. I mean, he's just yeah. an awful, ugly, seven foot tall, hair, hairy fangs horns, I mean, the whole bit. And part of that is probably the Christian church's attempt to make him look more evil than he actually was, because there's a definite concerted attempt beginning in the 12th century with the Inquisition to sort of, you know, sort of demonize the pagan gods and goddesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, But nonetheless, it wasn't like Krampus was originally this golden boy who was made to be awful. He always was kind of a boogeyman. And so this is the elf on the shelf conversation a thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that elf. Don't get me started on that elf. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. It was, it's the most obvious sort of parallel that's happening. Oh, yeah. No, it's true. We have this, um, we have this little cute guy dressed in red. And they have Krampus. <laughs> Welcome to America. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, so as far as the, the Krampus thing goes, uh, so it started, what did we say? When did you say it's, it? we okay, get hints so, of when it started? It started... Okay. I'll give, you the I'll give you the quickest non-nerdy version of this possible. Well, we can get um, nerdy, though. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll expand if we have to. So Krampus, okay, here's the way it works. <clears throat> southern Southern Germany and Austria are, are definitely separated from northern Germany and Austria, and much of what we consider Norse mythology happens north of Bavaria. And so Krampus is definitely a sort of story from the south. Actually, if you just Googled Krampus right now, you probably have. You'll see that he's allegedly the son of Hel, H-E-L, and she is the daughter of Loki. Okay. Uh, The truth is that he's probably not, in terms of Norse mythology, he's probably not the the son of, of Hel. 
because that he's southern and she is north, Iceland, uh, all of that. And so these stories are sort of conflated. So the reality is that he is probably the, a vestige of the horned god who goes back to the late Paleolithic, probably 11 or 10,000 BCE. Uh, and so that, that sort of tradition comes forward. And, the, and here's where it's hard to separate because early paganism it was lost to us. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the sort of stories that now that modern witches associate with like, uh, you know, the equinoxes and, and the solstices and in this time of year, it's always Yule. Um, the wild hunt was part of that. And the wild hunt was always on one of the 12 days of Christmas. And it was always led by one, the horned God. And it's clear that Krampus is some iteration of that horned God. But how that sort of works out is impossible to follow mm-hmm. because, like, like I said, uh, when Charlemagne Christianizes uh, that central part of Europe, uh, you know, he's crowned he's crowned Holy Roman Emperor in 800 uh, CE. Um, in 795, Bavaria falls essentially, and he takes over, and it becomes a duchy under his control. Well, Charlemagne was famous for Christianizing at the point of the sword. If he would slaughter whole villages if you wouldn't convert. And so those stories kind of went underground and okay. we never you can't track them after that. They just so, become folklore. Okay. Right? So it started it's, kind of as a Norse mythology. It starts as a very local regional sort okay. of thing that's borrowed from the Celts. Okay. Because the, the horn god uh um oh Sarunos is the original horned god from the Celts. We know very little about him. There's not really many stories associated with him. But this horned god appears all over Europe. And, and so Krampus is definitely a sort of uh, an iteration of that horned god. Okay. But, but he becomes associated with St. Nicholas. And the question for sort of folklore scholars is, does he become associated with St. Nicholas because the church is intentionally trying to mm-hmm. whitewash Krampus and turn him into St. Nick? Or was there a genuine tradition in which the two were sort of associated with mm-hmm. much like Gilgamesh and Enkidu, right? So you have this sort of, again, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So in terms of folklorism, it's fascinating. But in terms of actually telling a coherent story, <laughs> it doesn't lend itself all that well to it. Well, I think that I, I that could be said, I think, <clears throat> for most folklore, I think, especially with these types of uh, you know, these types of things. When, when, did, when did Saint Nick come on the scene as far as the Christmas tradition. I mean, <laughs> the, would you say Krampus predates when Saint? Because oh, yeah. for me, it seems like Krampus predates the Saint Saint Nicholas, and then once Saint Nicholas came on the scene with being associated with Christmas, then Krampus started getting kind of roped into, you know, roped into the conversation, or roped into, into the mythology. Right. So Saint Saint Nicholas, you know, goes back to what goes way way back, uh-huh. and he but he becomes this. Okay, so folklore functions differently than mythology. Do you mind if I do this for a second? Yeah. Just to explain. Okay, so I tend to think of mythology as 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 the high form and folklore is the low form. You know, folk mm-hmm. is volk, which is the people, so the stories of the people. But mythology is the thing that shapes us at the cosmological level. What is the world? Who are we? What is our purpose in it? Who are the gods? How do we relate to them? That's all mythology stuff. Folklore is, my daughter is sick, how do I get her better? Which right, herbs okay. heal my child, right? And so which of these sort of minor deities are going to help me in my day-to-day existence? Uh, in the ancient world, they were they were primarily henotheists, which is there is this god above all gods, and then every, all the other minor gods sort of either help me out or work against me, right? Mm-hmm. So that that sort of thing plays out in terms of, of, of folklore. 
so this idea is that those stories become part of who the people are. So St. Nicholas was like the greatest PR thing for the church ever because he was genuinely this uh, amazing character. Now, now, hagiographies, the stories of saints, are notoriously uh, legends. I mean, all legends begin with an actual person or event, and they're exaggerated. Well, St. Nicholas, uh, which was, I almost say Turkey, Asia Minor area, okay. uh, was a genuinely good character, generous to a fault, and, and, and so he becomes this sort of man of the common people. You know, there, one, of, one of his most famous stories is uh, he walks by the house of a man who's so poor he's going to sell his daughters into slavery, and St. Nicholas throws gold coins through the window so that the man doesn't have to sell his daughters. And so you understand that for common people, he becomes this amazing sort of story. And the church, as they're attempting to Christianize all of these Germanic tribes that Charlemagne had brought together, um, it's one thing to force you to convert at the, at the, at the, at the, and one pain at death. It's another to get you to actually believe the stories. And so not only do they shift holidays to be associated with the pagan rituals, they also sort of begin their own sort of folklore uh, PR campaign. And so it's likely that, that St. Nick is, is converted from this amazing sort of saint into this almost – you want to say demigod or semi-god, you know, one of those sort of minor deities uh, that works for the common folk. And that's kind of how that sort of thing develops, which is why some of the more cynical scholars would say Krampus is simply the, the original version and St. Nicholas is the cleaned up version of that. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the tradition that has them working together is that sort of intermediary period where you're working toward the sort of sanitized version, which becomes St. Nicholas. Okay. All right. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's yeah, that's good. My professor nerd. We'll yeah, it's all, it's all good. That's what, that's what the show is all about. Okay, sure. good. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, cause I'm trying, I'm on a national geographic site right now and I'm trying to like scan through this and, uh, you know, um, and I'm, I'm getting a brief overview. So in about, uh, looks like the late 1800 or, you know, he started. The the idea of Krampus seemed to start getting more popularity with those uh, those postcards. You see those like postcards, which those, I think yeah, they said in like the nineteen hundreds. The artwork's fantastic. On yeah, those. love that stuff. Which they were kind of done as a humorous thing, right? Yeah, except the tongue. If that's one of the ones where it has that long like foot. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. It seems to be associated. That's, that's consistent with the. St- Right. Is that he had this long tongue that was like literally a foot and a half long, um, <laughs> which is creepy if you think about him and kids. I'm sorry, right. it's, it's creepy. But remember that part of this, we and we can't sort out what is and what is not. It, it, there's no okay. So this is me not being cynical, of me being a little more sort of old and worldly. It, is that once you create a character that looks very much like the devil? Uh-huh then I think that you have an, an indication that the church has literally, not metaphorically, but literally demonized a popular folk character. Do you, you understand what yeah. I'm saying? So whatever Krampus looked like before, because for Berta, for example, she um, can be a beautiful woman or she can be a crone, which both of those are appropriate for European mythology. But in a in terms of when the church gets a hold of these stories, that any iteration or, or version of them that shows up and that the church is telling of it becomes the worst possible version. Mm-hmm. So Krampus ends up with two feet. One is a bear claw. One is a cloven hoof. Then you have the horns. 
and the church always always associated the horned god with with Lucifer. So the Baphomet, which emerges from you know Masonic literature and all that, with the the goat headed Satan, all of that is sort of rolled into this Krampus character mm-hmm. because it's always the church trying to Christianize. There's an old old version of mythology in terms of how you actually interpret myth, the earliest version the church would contend with, and this goes back to the like fourth or fifth century, uh, was called Euhemerism. It was named for a guy named, named Euhemerus. And he believed that those early stories of gods and goddesses <coughs> were um, literally uh, just stories that had been attributed to either supernatural creatures or uh, or, or human beings who were capable of, of great acts. And so they tried to find out ways in which the stories were actually true. Whether they were demonic or human or not didn't matter to them, but myths were true things that were somehow missing the point of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so you still get that when you get to Krampus and these sort of versions of him where the church has done their best to paint. I mean, come on, seriously, you grew up in the 20th century in America. Um, if you think horns, fangs, cloven hooves, uh, hurting children, the immediate association is Lucifer, Satan, devil, whatever you want to say. And that's an intentional sort of PR move on the part of the church in those, in those centuries when they were trying to demonize all of the pagan deities mm-hmm. in, and then sort of offer up the saints as a sort of um, replacement. Uh, so in other words... Whereas I would used to pray to these gods and goddesses for hearth and home and health and all that. Now, what do you do with saints if you're a Catholic? You pray through the saints and have them petition for you. If the thing is asking the minor deities to make your house safe or make your daughter well. And so the church would definitely engage in this long-term PR campaign to sort of shift the focus from these deities to the saints. And that way they had to paint the deities as devils and the saints as, well, saints. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, it's definitely, you know, a god and devil type imagery. Yeah. If, you, if you see these pictures of, you know, St. Nick alongside uh, Krampus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Jolly, jolly St. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's it, because St. Nicholas himself, the story is like, <clears throat> there are some scholars in the world today, and they, I, I'm not sure they're wrong, that are convinced that the St. Nicholas we have in the United States, the, the Coca-Cola drinking Santa Claus from 1915 to 1945 or whatever it was, which, by the way, becomes the definitive sort of icon for Santa in our yeah. culture, was nothing more than a uh, sort of creation of marketing. And because if you read the original uh, A Visit to St. Nicholas, which most Americans now call Twas the Night Before Christmas, mm-hmm. St. Nicholas is, quite frankly, a tiny little elf. Huh. If you, if you actually read the okay. words, you know, the, 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 the tiny reindeer and the tiny sleigh that lands on the roof, those are all tiny. And they keep saying tiny. And so Santa. Well, it makes sense. He has to come through the chimney. Correct. And so we want <laughs> to try to figure out, you know, post. Coca-Cola post Playboy, how fat Santa got down the chimney. Well, <laughs> for that group who were in New York, who were part of advertising in those days, and Washington Irving, I think, was even part of that group. Uh, they they conceived of Santa because they were Europeans at heart as this small elf-like creature, and that made perfect sense to them because they were part of the, the Volk, they were part of the people, but so was folklore to them. Mm-hmm. So even the Santa story has been sort of marketed to the point that you don't know where the where the sort of actual story ends and marketing begins. Yeah. 
yeah, that's, that's fascinating how how thing uh, over time, you know, things change and, and evolve um, like that. I mean, I, I the same things happening with Krampus for sure. What um, what other types of things that we associate with Christmas have evolved like past the point of even resembling their origins? So would you say like there's obviously like the the Christmas tree? Um, I'm trying to think of other holiday traditions. You know that that we do. Yeah, the Christmas tree, whether or not it's you know related to the Yule log and sort of paganism, it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read some decent sort of Christian uh, apologetics that say it's based on this sort of gift box that was in the shape of a tree that smacks a little bit too much of um, uh, of, of constructing an apologetic uh, over against what is clearly. Um, a pagan sort of celebration. Trees are even Krampus carries birch sticks, uh-huh. right? His bag is birch sticks, and birch for uh, those people would have been a, a good, clean symbol. It was associated with your home, and it was associated with a, with a, a good home. And so that Krampus would use that sort of material as a way to punish your child was her, was horrifying. Because it was one of the ways you would make your home safe from these sorts of things. So in that sense, the Christmas tree itself, it's probably clearly this sort of um, reference back to the Yule celebrations. And so, you know, uh, we have a, we're have we a little confused about this in our culture because St. Nicholas's Day is December 6th. And then December yeah. 25th, which we celebrate as Christmas, is actually the first day of Christmas of the 12, which, if you follow the church calendar, leads you inevitably to Epiphany, which is usually January 6th, I think. Okay. Um, and so the, that, this is only the first day of, of the 12 days of Christmas. Well, that's because it was the Yule celebration. And for each of those days of Christmas, like Berkta, who I've referred to a couple of times, you remember there are maids spinning in the 12 days of Christmas song. Mm-hmm. Well, Berkta... Berkta's job was to oversee the spinning and, and those those women who took care of hearth and home. So each any of those sort of Christmas traditions that we think of with the twelve days of Christmas isn't a reference to Christian culture. It's a reference to pagan culture that's been Christianized by the church. Yeah, yeah. I mean now now it's I mean our modern culture it's down to just uh, the presents. There's some imagery, uh, Santa Claus, and then the Christian tradition of the birth of Jesus. And it's very cut and dry, very marketed and, you know, pasteurized and, and everything. But I I find the more that I dig into all the holidays, especially, you know, they're the origins of these holidays and the meanings behind things. It gets more and more fascinating, you know, and it just shows that our our, our culture just wants things just fast, fast marketed, easy to digest and done and 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 easy to be done with. <laughs> yeah, because we don't really have a functional mythology anymore. Mm-hmm. Not one that's like supernatural in orientation. I mean, here's, and I'm, this is a little, we're going to move a little bit tangent here, but I think it's still related. <laughs> no, seriously, one of our, the largest church in our city, uh, which has, by the way, like 20 some campuses in five states, but the, the main campus is here. A couple of years ago when Christmas fell on Sunday, they canceled Christmas, they canceled Sunday service. So that, Families can celebrate Christmas at home with their families. So, if you think about if you think about that, the demythologization of Christmas is almost complete, because now the entire sort of sacred idea of what Christmas is supposed to be has been has reverted not to the old pagan narrative, but to a modern sort of commercial narrative where Christmas is 
And this is bizarre, I know, but Christmas is not just a commercial sort of holiday. It's this sort of fetishization of family and, and home, right? Mm-hmm. So that, you know, you, you see this, you just start watching the commercials and it's the Christmas tree and it's the, it's the dimly lit home and it's the beautiful sort of amber lighting or the red lighting and it's all pretty and warm and it feels amazing. And so this, this sort of new mythology surrounding Christmas has very little to do with even Christianity or pagan. It's just this sort of, I don't even know how to talk about this kind of, the level of nostalgia is, is a fetish. And, mm-hmm. I, and I mean that in the anthropological sense, which is to say that a fetish is something that we give more power or import than it ought to have, right? I don't mean it in the sense where you watch like dirty movies. I mean <laughs> a fetish for sociology, right. psychology is this thing that you give more power than it ought to have. Yeah. And so then this nostalgia surrounding Christmas has, has come to that point so that we've demythologized Christmas completely except for these kind of odd elements. Because mm-hmm. If you had to look for transcendence in American culture, where would you find it? Yeah. And at least with ancient cultures, Krampus, Berta, it doesn't even matter. Pick a horn to God, it doesn't, doesn't matter. All of these sort of messages and these stories associated with these sort of events in the year were transcendent stories. Death, birth, uh, fertility. And now we have uh, food, home, tree. <laughs> and I'm not sure that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, something that something to chew on. I mean, as, as far as our our family goes, it's Christmas has always been, especially since we had kids, it's been, you know, just a fun thing for for the kids. You know, presents but, under the under the tree and 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 all that. But I think, but we try to focus too with raising our children is because um, every year we go through all the all the untouched toys, all the things that are still in good working order. We we you know gather them all up and. You know, we give them away and right. to either kids in our, our neighborhood or give them away to, uh, you know, like, like Goodwill or a charity or something. Yeah. I was I was trying to find something that's actually going to do something nice with them rather than throw them all into a stinky store. But we tried to at least do something with that in mind. I, I understand that there's also the reasoning of we got to clear some of the shit out because new shit's coming in. <laughs> well, that's right, John. You know, honestly, I'm not. I'm not. This is not a criticism when I say that it's about the fetishization of family and home. Yeah. Those are actually good things. Yeah. And for those families who get together at Christmas and they genuinely enjoy each other's company, that's awesome. Right. Yeah. You, you know what? And there, this the strikes a nerve with uh, strike something with the the film was what they were doing was based on nostalgia. They were trying to get everyone together, even though they knew. Not everyone got along. The news would be horrible. It was just <laughs> like they were doing it just to do it. Right, that's right. <laughs> you know? Because we're supposed to. Right, right. Yeah. And that I think even uh, and that's kind of you know slippery territory. I mean, we almost did that last night. Um, there was a, the, the yearly family get together. Uh, we were going to almost force ourselves to go to it, even though my wife wasn't feeling well, just because oh well everyone's going to be together. We have to do it. You know. There was that urgent, uh, almost like stress that no, we can't be gone. We can't be away from this. But, but uh, my wife didn't. She wasn't feeling up to it, so we, you know, we hung back at home and had a nice, relaxing evening, <laughs> which was awesome. Which was fantastic. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, there, there is that. I think, I think every every year we always kind of have to force ourselves, at least with my family, not to get into the craziness. Like, oh, we need to get this many gifts. We need to spend this much money. We got to, there's always that underlying stress that Christmas brings. And I think every year I get a little more laid back about it. And, uh, and for me, it's like, 
I want to just focus on the kids, make sure they have a good Christmas and everyone else, you know, you guys, everyone else sees this. I don't, I don't feel the need to get everyone, you know, a Christmas present other than my family, you know, right. and, and, and that's almost people have this crazy, you know, checklist that they feel like they have to hit all the ticks. I remember last year I was in line at Target and it was a madhouse and this lady was buying an Xbox 360 and a PlayStation 3. And I was like, well, why, why are you buying them both? I mean, she's like, well, my son, he wants them both. You know, oh, I'm like, are wow. you, are you kidding me? You're spending, you know, 600 bucks right. on your snot nosed kid. Because <laughs> he demanded those for Christmas, you know. Yes. And so Christmas in that sense is what? I mean, here's, this is my concern. And I don't know, you know, we've, we've been on the show before. I mean, I've been on the show before. I've done this before. Yeah. And, and so I have no sort of, you know, faith convictions. And yet I'm painfully aware when faith convictions are actually good for the culture. Yeah. And, and, and absent those faith convictions, Christmas becomes this sort of, um, I don't know, homage to, to consumption. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it can be that. And I would rather, I honestly, I swear, I, I'm saying this, you're, you're actually recording me, so you know I'm saying this. I would rather, one of my friends called me this week, and she is, uh, as she's, she's, she would call herself an atheist. And she, she said, my favorite Christmas songs are all about Jesus love. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I get that. I do. Because they're substantive. There's something there. And there's something noxious and awful about, here comes Santa Claus, or Santa Claus is coming to town. Because they're not—they're not based on a mythology that is redemptive or transformative or healing or, or hopeful, right? Mm-hmm. They're just this sort of saccharine—I um, don't know—tune that plays in the background where you just like murder an entire family because it's just like awful. You can, <laughs> you can honestly see uh, one of those songs being played as a as a score while you have this sort of Christmas killer that murders an entire house. Well, and it probably has like there's you know, um, oh gosh, oh gosh, what movie? And you oh, know the movie Christmas Evil. The movie yeah. Christmas Evil, prime example, fantastic film, by the way. Right. And it, <laughs> it, it, it speaks to this sort of thing inside of us that's like, I am so sick of this shit. Honestly, mm-hmm. can we not just hang out, talk? I, a friend called me today. She's stressed out because she's like out shopping, and it's like, stop shopping. <laughs> Go home. Spend time with your family. Right. Rest the world to get, get just piss off, honestly. Yeah. And just do what you want. And yeah. so the demythologization of Christmas – has created a problem for our culture because we have to reify it with meaning. So how do you reify something that was sort of hollow and sort of saccharine to begin with? So then the nostalgia sort of fills that gap. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what to do with it. And that's when we talked, we started this conversation by saying, you know, Krampus as a corrective. I think Krampus <laughs> is a corrective. I really do because it at least introduces this sort of serious note to this holiday that is all about for us consumption and if nostalgia is the best we can manage as a culture, we're mm-hmm. we're doomed. Right. Honestly. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that's we we try to uh, try to instill, and especially as the kids get older, we get more. We will expand on the idea of Christmas as a holiday for for you know reminding ourselves why it kind of goes in hand in hand with Thanksgiving. You know, being thankful for those around us and to show our thankfulness, we want to give them something that they don't deserve. We want to, you know, my my wife is is uh, she's she's Christian. I'm I'm more of the agnostic, ish. Uh, what you know, but she's very much sure. still, uh, you know, Christian, and she wants to you know influence the, the kids with the gift of Jesus and what Jesus stood for, which we're very, 
you know, we're not fundamentalists at all. As a whole, I guess you can say we're a Christian family, but we're very uh, more along the lines of like just grace and love. And, and right. those types of ideas, I think, transcend all the other bullshit that people argue about. And so with, sure, with sure. our with our kids, it's, you know, we want to be able to give to other people. You know, right. Right. we want to have fun with it. But ultimately, it's about ultimately it's about being together. And that's what we do. As my wife's family and everything, they all live close by, and we all get along, and we really do enjoy the holidays together without this, you know, commercialization, commercial, I can't talk right now, commercialization, Jesus, Um, and and stress, you know, it's it's all about we get together, and we have dinner, and, and, and we open presents, but, you know, it's never... Uh, about really about the presents. I can care less if they give me. They spoil me every year. My in laws do. I could really care right. less <laughs> what they give me, no, but I right. appreciate it. You know, and we hope to do do the same thing with you know our our kids. It's not about the crap you can get, but it's about it's about having that fun of giving something to someone else and them not knowing what it is. And that's what we're trying to instill. You know, with with the season and. I don't know. Christmas is, is Christmas is a tough time for a lot of people. You know, it's there's a it lot is. of underlying. It's a great time, but it's also, especially with with a lot of people, there's that underlying cynicism. Which what I think Krampus bring. You, you've said it too. Like Krampus brings that out and and brings that to yeah. light. Which uh, we're not really talking about the film, but the film does a great job of of showing that as well. Like there are undertones to that, and it's kind of it does it does in a weird way make you think. You know, the, the film opens with a Black Friday stampede. <laughs> awesome. And it's an amazing opening sequence. And it kind of, it's funny, but it's also kind of terrifying. And, you know, uh, you kind of uh, think about a few things <laughs> while you're watching that, you know. So, yeah. but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, you know, we'll see. I think we're, we're in a cynical society. So I think Krampus is here to stay for, for a while. And, but, um, you know. I, I hope he is. I mean. You know, as someone who teaches mythology professionally, I, I, I appreciate its power, <clears throat> but <I'm, clears throat> I would much rather talk about the story of baby Jesus <clears throat> than the story of Santa Claus. I just right. would. Yeah, it, it's a more, it's a stumble, it's a, the story of Jesus is a story about almost like, true humility, you yeah. know, and, and, and um, it's got substance. It, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 here's, you know, and I know I don't know if your listeners know. You know, I was a, I was a pastor for 14 years, and both my degrees are in religion. But you know, I, I I gave that up because I don't believe the narratives anymore. But I still believe the narratives in the sense that they can unbreak the world in some ways. Right. And I would rather have those kinds of stories that that unbreak a world as opposed to those stories that just encourage what's what's bad about us. And and I love that the movie opens with a, with a Black Friday scene, and because there are two things that happen there, we have to acknowledge that we become consumers mm-hmm. at a level we don't even understand, and we also have to acknowledge for those of us who don't have to go to Black Friday, that we get to engage in sort of class judgment because we don't have <laughs> we, cause we don't have to do those things, right? I don't have to rush up there for two hundred dollars TV because I can afford right. six hundred TV. Yeah, and so we get to appreciate who we are as we sort of disdain those who are who are, who are less than us. I never do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> and if I don't fans, rush to YouTube the next day. What do you? <laughs> and so this is why I think. Okay, and again, I, 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 let's be honest. I love the devil. Is Milton loved the devil? I love the devil. 
He's a way better character than God. He's way more interesting, <laughs> you know, way more personality. But be, it's because he challenges us to be way more not, and I'm not going to use the word because it's a damn church word right now. <laughs> authentic, but he challenged us to to be more serious mm-hmm. about the ways in which we engage our lives. It's not that that Krampus wanted all kids to behave in the truest sense of the word, like always obey your parents. Some parents are dicks. Yeah, yeah. But what if the what if the idea here is to encourage your kids to live redemptively in the world, to be genuinely good, right? Proactively good in the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Oklahoma City right now, I don't know if you know this, we just passed the no panhandling ordinance. And hmm. so people all over Oklahoma City are planning these sort of you know, sit-ins on the, media, the medians around town uh, to protest what's going on. And so if, you, if, you know, if you're doing that around the holidays, because the holidays, I don't know if you know this or not, because you're in California, but it's cold as hell here sometimes around Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. And those folks don't have a place to go and they're cold. So what if, you're, what if, what if, what if being good means being proactively healers of the world? Right. And so Krampus, if he offers this sort of don't be a dick, don't be a consumer, don't be shallow, don't ask for an Xbox and a PlayStation, <laughs> if he's that sort of influence on the culture, that's a win. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, um, get it. There you go. Get it. I think we I think we covered Krampus pretty well. Fifty eight minutes, of Krampus. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, well, Greg, I want to thank you so much for for bringing your your knowledge and expertise um, on on this. I wish I wish I could take one of your classes. Oh, thanks. You know, um, I'm I'm you know I'm a, I'm a professional now, and I'm not a, I'm not around learned people. We're just all working, <laughs> you know. Which is a sad thing. To, yeah, it's sad. <laughs> so it's always good to talk to somebody with uh, some knowledge to give, which is great. Um, so you also do you do? Are you still writing? You're still like doing? Uh, I know that you were like reviewing happy no, hours and stuff I mean, I, like I'm that. Still, I still write here locally, and I do some stuff for religion news service, and I'll do more. Um, I've got the blog hasn't I haven't done anything with it in a long time mm-hmm. because I just don't have time because I actually get paid for the things that I write. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm still still out there still you know they can find me on Twitter at xpastor. Cool. Uh, and that will that will I'll post anything that matters there. <laughs> Honestly, I will. And um, that's, I, I love the uh, the little dinosaur with the pen the pencil. T Rex PSAs they're the, the best. best. They are the best. <laughs> um, before we go, I do want to give a shout out to uh, my brother starting up a tea company called Woodshed Tea. It's based out of Oklahoma City. Um, it's And right now, I believe until January, um, he is offering a discount on his teas. If you go to woodshedtea.com, if you use the tea, the, the code FRAMILY, F-R-A-M-I-L-Y, you get 10% off your order. So I wanted to give that shout out uh, for woodshedtea.com. I am drinking the ginger mint chamomile herbal tea right now, and it's delicious. So again, that coupon code is FRAMLY, like friends and family, FRAMLY. All right. Um, well, I want to thank all of you guys for listening. Greg, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate thank talking you. to you. Um, I'll talk to all of you guys. I'm going to take a couple week, couple week break. going to come back in January and talk to all of you then. Bye-bye. We must search for what is truth. What is truth? And what is God? You don't really want an answer to that question. The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. That's really what you want in life. You want to feel connected. You want to feel relevant. 
Let it feel like a, you're a participant in the goings-on of activities and events around you. That's precisely what we are, just by being alive.